Welcome to the Axiom Podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Lonergan, and today I'm joined by Joey Brennan, and we're coming out of our three-part series on the idea of no bad teams. We wanted to share some statistics from our pre-lunch and learn survey that we sent out to both of the groups that we presented to. These numbers are coming from 39 different businesses across the Southwest Florida region, the goal being to shed light on the fact that nobody is immune to struggling with their team or their leadership. The first question that we have today is, do you have a manager or team member with significant responsibility that you would consider toxic to your team? And the answer to this across the board from all 39 businesses was 23%. So I want to invite Joey in to talk about that number and that question. Thanks, Shannon. I, you know, I was surprised when I saw this number for the first time, because to me, it seems low and that's purely anecdotal from going into new clients uh, for the first time. And and we go through these one-to-one interviews and we uh, almost invariably, like there's one person on the team and everybody's like, so when are you going to interview that person? Right. And they've got this like, kind of like little glint in their eye or this little smirk on their face where they're like, well, because that's the person who, you know, is probably going to give you the hardest time. That's the most cynical person or that's the most difficult to deal with person, or that's the person that, you know, has had to sit down with HR umpteen times and they've got the thickest folder of all the (laughs) the different remediation plans they've been on. And it's like, it's hardly ever the case that we go into a business and there's not one of those individuals on what you might call the inner circle or the leadership team or the, the core management team. If you've got a management team of say over five people, Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that struck me as like, man, that seems low. And, you know, I was joking with one of our audiences when we we did these uh, two events recently, and these were the, this was the group of people who responded to the survey and, and came to one of our events. And I was joking and saying like, this number is, seems pretty low. And, uh, so if, if that's true, it could be the case that you, the CEO <laughs> and self-rating, like you might be the problem, like you might be the toxic member and you can't see it. We're joking about it. And I don't think, and it really was a joke. I don't think that that's often the case that the CEO or the owner is the one who's toxic. But, you know, why would it be so low? And, and part of it, I don't think that they're being disingenuous in their responses. I don't think they're trying to sugarcoat it. These were people who were all coming to uh, a lunch and learn event whose title was, you know, no bad teams, you know, how to build teams that perform in Excel. So they're all coming because they want to learn how to make their team better. Nobody's, you know, if this is true, then like 75% of the people coming would have been like, no, my team's good. Like Mm -hmm. I don't have any, any issues on my team. We got all a players. We should be fine. So I think that they, I don't think that they're, um, blind to it, but I think sometimes you get numb to it. Yeah. And sometimes the, in, in our experience, when you and I go in and we're interviewing these individuals and the, it's oftentimes the person who's been there the longest that can be the most toxic. It's the person who's been there since day one. And some of the toxicity or some of the, the attitude that they have stems from the fact that things are changing and they want things to go back to the way they were. And the business owner, in some sense, has just resigned themselves 
to the fact that 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 person is just going to be that person and I'm never going to let them go because they've been so loyal to me all this time. And they have become numb to it, kind of like weeds in your parking lot, right? So we go to a new business for the first time. We're like, this parking lot looks terrible. And you say something to a business owner about it and they're like, yeah, I, don't, I just don't even notice that stuff anymore because you see it every single day and you just start to take it for granted. So the numbers, I, I can guarantee you the number is low. Uh, it's probably at least double, if not triple that. But, yeah, you know, it, it's. Uh, I would ask the listeners, you know, do you have somebody toxic on your team? And if your gut reaction is no, I'd say, well, is there somebody in your team that you constantly have to steer initiatives around? Is there somebody in your team that you may even have to like segregate and put them in a department or in a job function where they don't have to deal with too many other people or you've done that in the past and maybe you finally found the corner of the warehouse where you can stick them where they don't necessarily upset anybody. But if that person has significant responsibility, they are toxic to your team Mm -hmm. and it's something that's going to hold the business back. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... We tend to label people toxic pretty fast. Um, and I think it is a good sign. Like I, I just want to encourage some of our listeners. Like it's it's a good thing that you are trying to not label your team members as toxic because just jumping to that idea that, oh, this person's toxic and this person's toxic that in and of itself is toxic. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, so just remember that um, there are toxic behaviors and then there's to- there are toxic people. Yeah, it's a good distinction. I like that. And toxic behaviors can be addressed. The toxic person, on the other hand, it might be a little bit more difficult. Yeah, you, that's a great point because in all likelihood, there, you know, they, the, uh, understanding of this question may have been toxic people. And if that's the case, I'd say the number is probably, is probably high mm-hmm. because we tend not to tolerate toxic people. It yeah. just takes way too much energy and bandwidth. And there's kind of a, a wake of chaos and destruction that they leave behind them that really causes a lot of problems in businesses. And so we, we tend to act on those people or in some sense, recognize them as they show up to the door and say, Oh, you're probably not the best fit for our company. We're going to choose another candidate. Um, so I, I like the distinction between toxic behavior and toxic people. I think it's very valid. And I think it's just like, when you think about it, it's easier to think about it in non-business terms, because just like you said, you won't let somebody who's actually toxic, that toxic person in the door. It's very similar in your relationships. Like you won't just let somebody who is outright toxic into your life, into your family. It's easier to let somebody who has like little tiny toxic behaviors because sometimes they're unidentifiable and sometimes it doesn't start with a toxic behavior. Sometimes it's just like an annoying little trait and then it grows over time. Um, But it's important to nip those in the bud with values conversations so that we can get rid of those toxic behaviors. Yeah. Maybe one of the reasons that in our experience, that number is typically higher in terms of the percentage of people who are exhibiting toxic behaviors is because those behaviors come out under stress. Mm -hmm. And the situations that we're being called into are businesses that are growing, in some sense, growing rapidly. In some sense, uh, and then other situations where the business hasn't been growing, it's kind of plateaued. And there is some stress that's being created by the the pain of like, we're not moving forward, we're not moving forward. And there's kind of this general uh, cultural angst on the leadership team and frustration. 
And that too kind of breeds, uh, it's a breeding ground for those toxic behaviors and, and everybody's susceptible to them. But uh, absent value conversations, you know, to your point, they're never really going to be addressed and, and you can't mitigate them. Yeah. So the next question that we had on our survey was how much turnover would you estimate your organization experienced over the last year? And we had uh, five different places that they could mark. We had less than 10 percent, 11 to 20 percent, 21 to 30 percent, 31 to 40 percent, and then greater than 40 percent. Um, and Joey, I'd love to have you kind of talk through what those results were. Yeah. So, you know, nobody really responded in this top two category. So in, in essence, nobody had, nobody said they had turnover greater than 30%, but about two thirds of the respondents said it was under 10% and then pretty much equally split between 11 and 20% and 21 to 30%. Now the problem with a turnover uh, metric like this is it really is industry specific. So we know, for instance, in restaurants, the turnover rate can be upwards of 150 to 200%, which means 200% would mean people are staying an average of six months. 150% would be they're, they're staying an average of about nine months. 100% would be there every year you're completely turning over your workforce. So there's definitely going to be some industries and even some uh, pockets, maybe departmental wise within a specific business that are going to have different turnover rates. What's interesting is that, um, you know, when we ask this question, we knew that we were asking for opinions and anecdotes or, or we surmised that we would be asking for opinions on almost anecdotal information. Uh, because very few businesses track their retention rate or their attrition rate with their employees. It's actually something that's kind of on our on our radar as being one of the key metrics we want to push to the forefront in a lot of our dashboard reporting. And it's definitely a trailing metric. You know, it's we ha we have to wait a week, a year, for instance, to see if we've retained somebody. And so, in that respect, it takes a lot of patience to build up the trend line. But it can tell you, uh, you know, you can almost look back on it and see where the formidable events were in the company and when things started to decline. Um, so from that respect, like hard data is always better. But what's interesting to me about this, two thirds said less than 10%, but then we're roughly equally split between 10 to 20% and 20 to 30%. Well, if, if a third of the people who came to, to this event um, are experiencing turnover from 20 to 30 percent. It means that every year a fourth, a third to a fourth of their workforce is leaving, mm -hmm. which means over the course of three to four years, your entire workforce is changing, right? And we know that that's not the case, right? We know that if we went to a business today and we walked back into that business four years from now and that business had 50 or 60 employees, we wouldn't expect to see 50 or 60 new faces. Mm -hmm. right? So the reality is you have some people in every business, you have a core group of, of folks and let's say it's, it's, it's probably 30 to 50% of your employees probably have retention rates that are, are 80%, 75, 80, 90%. Meaning these people stay with you for six, seven, eight, ten 10 years. You got some people who've been with you like 15 or 20 years. And what would be more interesting for most businesses 
is to say, let's, let's exclude everybody who has a retention rate that is over, say, 75%. And then let's measure the retention rate for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Because what happens on a lot of teams, especially dysfunctional teams, is you have those folks in the managerial positions and they've been there a long time and they're very well compensated and they're probably later in their career and they're not going to be able to go out and replace that income anywhere else. So they're sticking around. They're they're sticking around out of self-preservation. But if they're engaging in some of those toxic behaviors that you're talking about, they're creating a churn that is much, much higher below that managerial level of the organization. So yeah, it might, let's say we did have the raw data. And we said that uh, two-thirds of the respondents had attrition rates that were over 20%, right? Well, if that's the case and a good chunk of your workforce is sticking around for eight, nine, 10 years, it means everybody else is probably sticking around for two years, three years. And we do see that. You know, we can think through some of the situations we've come into and you go, well, what's the, what's the uh, turnover rate in the field, What's the turnover rate in the clerical admin positions? What's the turnover rate at the front desk? You know, and it, it is 150%. And you know, okay, so that's not their fault. That is leadership's fault, which is one of the reasons that we are going after the statistic for the attendees of the events that we did. Yeah, I think it's really important to pay attention to this. Um, but it's definitely case by case, business by business, because it's not... It's not just a flat line across the board. Yeah. And that's where actually gathering the data on your business can tell you whether you in particular are doing better. It's not necessarily something that I would advocate. Hey, benchmark yourself against the industry because you may pat yourself on the back, but the industry may be terrible mm-hmm. at retention, right? And you want to you want to definitely do better if you want a top performing team. Yeah. So our advocacy here is start actually paying attention to your numbers. Start measuring it. Tell your payroll department, your HR department that you want to begin measuring retention by department. And most, uh, almost all businesses of any size are going to split their their payroll departmentally for one very particular reason, workman's comp codes. So if you have people who are in the field, they're going to pay, you're going to have to pay a higher workman's comp insurance rate on those folks because they're driving around, they're more susceptible to injuries and whatnot. People in the office are going to have lower risk, so they're going to be segregated differently. And we can piggyback on top of those departmental classifications and payroll to say, okay, that roughly aligns with how we want to measure retention as well. So let's measure retention in the office. Let's measure retention in the field. Let's measure retention in the sales department. So however you have your department set up for payroll, just say, I want to start measuring retention for each one of those departments. And it's very simple. We, we're not going to get into the details of like what the spreadsheet would look like, but there's really only two pieces of information that you need for each department. And that is the number of employees at the end of the month and then the number of new hires during that month. And with those two numbers, we can put together a formula that will tell us what our retention rate is. Got it. Yeah. All right. So number three, um, our question was on an average day, how many times do you get interrupted by something that you feel someone else in the organization should be able to handle? This question was, was a good one to ask. Um, and I was honestly shocked by how little people put here (laughs) (laughs) because I think that they're trying to be nice. Yeah. 
What do you think? Well, it's interesting. Like you do a survey like this and you're, you know, at the end of the day for purposes of presenting this to, to business owners or talking about it on a podcast, we're using averages, right? But if you go back and you look at the actual data, there are probably some people who are being more honest than others. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some pretty high numbers. I can't remember what the, the men and the max were, but there's, um, I guarantee you the average leader is getting interrupted more than four times a day. And some of them may be thinking of, uh, you know, how, how often does somebody come into my office, make me stop what I'm doing and, and focus on them for say more than five minutes, you Mm -hmm. know, to handle a substantive issue. Um, But that does not account for the number of times they get derailed in their email not by not by distraction, but by one of these issues that somebody else should have been able to handle. But for whatever reason, they get CC'd or BCC'd and they get sucked into an issue that should have been, you know, responsibility should have been delegated for. So it's definitely higher. But let's, I mean, even if we take it at face value, so it's four times. There's all kinds of uh, research around how long does it take to recover from an interruption the most conservative numbers I've seen are like 20 minutes. So you get interrupted and let's say it's a substantive interruption that takes you away, takes your focus away for more than two to four minutes. And it also, it also depends on how long it takes to recover. It depends on the kind of work you were doing before. So, you know, if you're having a conversation with somebody and somebody comes into the room and says, Hey, I need, I need your input on this. It doesn't take as long to recover from that because you, look back at the person and you're like, where were we? What were we talking about? And you pick it right back up and it's not that big of a deal. But if you're trying to spend some time in focused work, it could be a lot longer than 20 minutes. I've had phone calls where just my phone ringing and seeing who the caller ID was from. And I was like, I can't take that call because I don't have time and I have to stay focused on this. But just that phone call could set me back. In some cases, if it's very focused work, you're trying to put together an algorithm in a financial model, or you're trying to think through in your head the the logical construction of an organization chart for a new client. You've got all these responsibilities kind of jostling around in your head and all these people's names and how could we restructure this? And just any kind of interruption, I mean, I might as well you know, take a bathroom break, go get another cup of coffee, take 20 or 30 minutes to walk around the building. Cause I've lost it, you know, mm-hmm. and I got to get back in there. So, but let's just say it's 20 minutes, four times a day, 20 minutes each time, 80 minutes a day. If you do that five days a week, you're talking about six to seven hours a week just to recover mm-hmm. six to seven hours a week. So that's a, essentially a day a week that you just spend recovering from interruptions that you feel. And again, the way that this question was worded is important. There's aren't just all interruptions. These are interruptions that you feel someone else in the organization should be able to handle. So that should is a really big should. So it means you should be able to recover a full day a week just by leveling up your your leadership team. And that's huge. We're talking about giving somebody back 20% of their time, Mm -hmm. which... I mean, that if you talk about the, all the things that we say, you know, uh, time is the commodity that you just can't buy. Like it, it, sh- it should be, have an infinite value on it. And I, I would say for most leaders, this and the next question probably hold the most promise for their effectiveness. Yeah, absolutely. I um, was looking back through the responses because I remembered that we had some that were like, ah, oh, they're actually being a little bit more truthful than mm-hmm. maybe somebody else. And we had a couple who said, um, 
15 times a day, 20 mm. times a day, uh, 10 times a day, 18 times a day. And I think that if you really sit down and think about it, and I have had people do this practice where um, I will set up like a Excel spreadsheet and every 15 minutes, like you mm-hmm. put a color in and that color marks what's happened throughout your day. And you try to do it at the end of the day. Um, and if you are time blocking your calendar, this is a very easy practice to do because you can go back through. Um, but not only do we have distractions of coworkers, we also have the distraction of our cell phones, which you n- mentioned, like phone calls, um, text messages, but we also have social media pops up. Um, and I think this is an issue primarily for the younger generation where you're constantly getting notifications from Instagram or Facebook. Um, I get notifications from LinkedIn. So like I turned those off because it pops up, it lights up your screen and I get distracted immediately. Um, yeah, I think what, what most, uh, leaders need is a do not disturb switch for their physical environment, right? Because yes. you can be very diligent. Uh, like you were saying, you've, you've, you're turning off this notification and that notification. You use focus mode on your phone to, to, you know, to kind of unplug. And we've been through all types of um, tools, tips, tricks to create that focus mode, that do not disturb switch, like for the office door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, I mean, one of the things that we, it's probably been most effective is we had these big red signs, uh, like laminated signs made in the shape of a stop sign. And instead of stop, it just said closed door time and mm-hmm. same font as stop. And so we, we j- developed a common language uh, with, with that office team and we did it a few times to say closed door time means that I have to go into this focused mode of operation and I'm going to emerge. Like you're not going to see that on the door all day, every day, because if that's what you do, they just learn to ignore it because you have to be accessible as a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about accessibility. We're talking about the times that you're interrupted, that your physical environment or your cell phone blows up from somebody on your leadership team. And you go, why am I still the one? that is handling this. I shouldn't, they should be able to make this decision without me or mm-hmm. when are they going to be able to make this decision without me? So yeah. uh, being able to recover a day a week is a big one. Yeah, absolutely. And just a funny note on that. I am somebody who talks a lot. Nobody's shocked at this, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a running joke for a while in one of my previous positions where someone would say, we just need to put a sign up that says, I have no self-control. Don't talk to me or I won't get any work done. (laughs) And you know, sometimes you just have to have a little laugh. There you go. (laughs) Um, All right. So the next question, which follows up that previous question of that average four times per day you're getting um, distracted is how many hours per week on average would you estimate you spend putting out fires that could be reduced or eliminated if your leaders or managers stepped up? And what I thought was really interesting about this is the average came out to 7.6 hours. And what I thought was interesting is that the average of the above question came out to about seven hours per week. Mm -hmm. Um, So those really 
kind of match. Yeah. So what this means, so we talked about in the previous question, we talked about how much time does it take you to recover from those interruptions, right? So it takes you seven times to recover from the interruption, but that doesn't speak to how long you actually had to spend from the time you got interrupted until the time you're actually able to get back to your work. It just says when you're able to get back to your work, how long did it take you? And that's essentially wasted time. So now we get to the, to another huge issue. And, and I think this one may as well may be understated as well. Um, because if we were to say to, to most clients, another way to phrase this question might be what percentage of your day is your own and what percentage of your day gets spoken for? Like it wasn't on your calendar when you came in, like a scheduled meeting with your sales manager, a scheduled meeting with your production manager. Um, it's just time that when you show up that morning, you know you have to have some white space in your calendar for availability and you get pulled into those things. So how much of your, how much of, what percentage of your day is typically spoken for by others that it wasn't planned to be that way? And then the, the second question would be, what proportion of that time is something that you feel like they ought to be able to do without you? And so I would say that most of the business owners that we work with are going to spend half to three quarters of their day with their time spoken for by other people, meaning they're going to have somewhere between two to four hours a day of scheduled meetings. And then the rest of the time they are, they're at their, they're in their office and they're working on as much stuff as they can get to while people come in and out and, and bring issues to them. And so the other two to four hours per day, how much of that time should be something that another manager can handle. And we're saying it's only like two hours of their day, mm -hmm. less than two hours of their day. And I think it's higher than that. And mm -hmm. this is another one that I think is understated, but again, let's take it at face value. Here's another day. So now what we're getting to is 20% of your time, one day of your week is completely wasted, just recovering from the interruptions. And another day is essentially wasted because you are handling things that you feel like your team should be handling. And this is, I think, where a lot of the stress and the frustration and the burnout comes because when that business owner is at their desk and they're trying to get all that stuff done as these issues are being brought to them, that stuff gets laid aside, whether it is reviewing the insurance renewals or it's going over an, a big new you know, IT outsourcing contract or it's going through resumes for a new position. These are things that we would say, this is a good use of the business owner's time. That stuff gets pushed aside and then it gets picked up when? It gets picked up after dinner you know, or after five o'clock when everybody's gone and there are no more interruptions, they wind, to, wind up getting home at seven or eight o'clock, or they wind up going to bed at 10 or 11 o'clock and their family's missing out. And this is where business owners who they've been doing this for 20 or 30 years, they're 50, 55, 60, 65 years old. And they're like, I didn't think that I would still be working. I didn't think that I would be picking up the phone saying, honey, I'm going to be late for dinner or asking my husband if he can pitch in, you know, to help get the kids ready because I was still going to be doing this at this stage of my life. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, I love Henry Cloud uh, and Boundaries for Leaders, or uh, I think it's just the book Boundaries where he talks about the situation that you have is one that you've either created or you've allowed to exist. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that can be, that can, 
kind of be like a dagger, like, ooh, that hurt, right? But just like we said to the group yesterday, you know, if you find that you are the problem on your leadership team, that's great news because you can control you. So the same thing with these situations where you're letting your time be run over by other people, you have the ability to take that back. We can get into that. We already got into that on some of the other podcasts that we did. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to that, like you can take that time back, like you can change what's happening. And you have to remember that if you're constantly allowing those distractions, it's because you haven't put the boundary up, but you also haven't fully released control. Mm-hmm. And that team member or those managers or whomever is coming and distracting you, if it's one person, if it's multiple people, it's because they don't feel like you've given them the power to make a decision. And they feel like, oh, well, I can't do this because because Shannon might not trust me with this. If I screw it up, there's going to be hell to pay. And, you know, a lot of our business owners might say, Uh, People listening might say, well, the reason I can't do that is because they're not ready. Like, well, how long have they worked for you? You know, that that also comes, how much time have you invested in getting them trained up to be able to do those things? If they don't have a competency to handle things, you're saying, but these are things that I expect that they should be able to handle. Well, you've kind of given them a no-win situation. I'm not going to invest in the training, whether that's me spending time with you or me sending you somewhere to get the training or me partnering you up with a mentor who's kind of done what you've done in the organization before. Uh, I'm not willing to do that, but I'm also going to sit here and begrudgingly, you know, try to make up for lost time that you created for me after work. And so like that person is in a no-win situation. Yeah. And you don't want to go home resenting your team. Heck no. The boss doesn't want to, and, I don't, and the boss doesn't want people going home. Feel like a lot of times too, the people see the light that's still on, right? In his or her window, like they're going out and they're like, oh my God, I put her in this spot again where she has to work late uh, because I didn't get the stuff done. And they feel terrible about it. Most of them do, right? The ones who don't, <laughs> you should probably, <laughs> there's other issues there. So there's some toxic but behaviors. You've got some good people on your team that, to your point, you need to you need to uh, empower to be able to take over more responsibility. And you got some people on your team like, oh, they're not ready yet, but they've been there long enough that they should be ready. And that's because you haven't invested the time in their training. And that's something you can fix. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So number five, the question was, what is your estimated annual growth rate? Um, and that averaged out across the 39 people who answered this question to 13%. Um, so Joey, what does that mean for our listeners? Well, that question is kind of on its own. It's kind of, doesn't have a lot of context around it. And we asked that question to set up the next one, which is what do you think the growth rate could be if you had a higher functioning team? Uh, or I guess what we said, top rate leadership team. Mm -hmm. And what was really interesting is they said the average was 13% growth rate right now. And they said, we felt like we get to 25% on average if we had a top rate team. And this to me is one of the more astounding statistics. Again, this is anecdotal. It's probably underrated. They're probably, they're probably overestimating their current growth rate and they're underestimating their potential future growth rate. But let's just take them at face value. In essence, what these business owners are saying is I could double my growth if I had a better leadership team. 
The difference from growing at 13% to growing at 25% is a hundred percent increase in your growth rate. And I, I don't want that to 13 to 25 doesn't sound like much, but it's double the growth. And for most businesses, the result, the, the, the reason that you're able to achieve those growth rates is because the business owner is not the one driving the activities that generate growth. And it's not just sales. It's also the systems and processes that are able to keep up with sales and sustain sales. It's also the disciplines that allow you to go back to existing customers and offer them repeat services or additional goods and services, or as your customers grow, you're able to grow your service or product catalog to continue to be able to service them. And all of those things, and when you when you start to think about the increasing complexity in businesses as they grow, it is, al- it is not almost, it is essentially impossible. It is literally impossible for one person to be able to drive that. And even these caricatures of CEOs that we have in and the Elon Musk's or whomever, and you go, wow, like they, he runs a company that builds rockets, a company that builds cars, and a company that builds solar panels. Well, he doesn't. He doesn't. He didn't even start Tesla, right? <laughs> there were an incredibly talented group of people. And yeah, he came in and provided some leadership and direction, but that company goes nowhere without a leadership team that is taking initiative on their own to decide what needs to happen next, what system or process needs to be built next, what product needs to be created and sold next, what service needs to be eliminated. And these are things that a great leadership team does as part of their, you know, routine course of weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual disciplines. So we'll get into a couple of questions later that go to value of the business. And this one's huge. Even if you just look at the arithmetic on how you value a business, a doubling of the growth rate has a ridiculous effect on the cumulative value of the business. So you can take the same business, you can double the growth rate, and you can essentially double the value of the business over five or six or seven year time frame. So uh, a huge, I think this one was very insightful of the business owners who showed up. I hope that this was as big an aha moment. We press this point home for them as much as it needs to be. Yeah, I hope so too. And I think what I take away from that is... You can't do business alone. No. You can't do it in a siphoned off room. You can't sit by yourself and think that you can make all of this, the, the decisions and do it day by day and just get everything done because you have strengths. You have specific strengths and you need a team, a leadership team specifically who can fill in all those gaps. Um, And that is the only way that you're going to be able to hit that growth rate um, that will push you to the next level. Um, All right. So question number seven is how long can the business function without you involved on a daily basis? And I think this one is a question that As you start a business, you're like, I'm starting a business and I'm being an entrepreneur and I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. I mean, we've all been there. We've all said, I don't have to listen to the man anymore because I can take a vacation whenever I want. (laughs) It's it's laughable. You know, when you go out uh, on your own for business, you know, we... You always had a boss, right? Because before you went on your own, you had a boss, usually one. And then you go out on your own. And let's say that, like, so for me, I started with maybe 
uh, I think I had like 20 clients when I started and I traded one boss for 20. And if you want to talk about a neurotic existence, like have 20 <laughs> bosses, y'all dictating what your priorities are. And so over time, uh, you know, as you grow, it gets easier because any one voice gets diluted, but uh, it's the truth. Like we all think that we're going to be able to like map our own schedule and be in charge of our own calendar. And the truth is, well, there's two truths. Uh, one, you're going to get pulled in a, in a lot more directions than you did by one boss. But the other thing is you're going to work harder for yourself than you will ever work for somebody else. So for me personally, I had a problem with working too much, you know, kind of workaholic. And that just got turned up to the power of 10 mm -hmm. when I started working for myself because there were so many justifications about, well, this is for me and my family now. So I'm justified working harder. And at the same time, you're taking away from them. But that's a, that's a topic for another day. What was interesting about these these numbers, we gave them some options here. And it was everything from like, I can take a few days off to I can take off indefinitely, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. And um, when you look at, I, I would ask you, just, just like forget, forget you ever saw these survey results. And let's say we're talking about a business owner who owns a $20 million business. How much vacation time over the course of a year uh, would you say maybe like before you got to see all the businesses that Axiom does and like what it really looks like, but what, what were your general impressions for how much a business owner who runs a $20 million a year business should be able to take off over the course of a year? How many weeks? Yeah. I mean, my goal was always to get to that business owner to be that $20 million a year because I thought then maybe then I'd be able to take a break. Mm -hmm. Um, so without looking at anything, my naivety would have said, maybe they can take off a month or maybe they can take off two months mm -hmm. and it'll be okay. Everything will yeah. run smoothly. Yeah. I think that's the general impression and maybe not like, okay, they're not gonna be able to take off two months all at the same time, but over the course of the year, like they get more than the standard two weeks vacation, hopefully. Mm -hmm. And I would say like at least double that. So four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks taken, you know, a week here, two weeks there, a few times a year. Well, our respondents said, oh, 66, 64% of our response. So two thirds of the people who responded said the most that they could take off is a week here or there. Not two weeks, just a week here or there. A fourth of them said the most they could take off was a few days. I mean, so that means they're not even getting a one-week vacation, much less a two-week vacation. Mm -hmm. Two-thirds of them are not getting a two-week vacation anywhere in the year. About 10% said they could take off multiple weeks at a time. 17% said multiple months. And then 8% said indefinitely. I'd have to do the math. We had 39 respondents. So that's maybe two people out of the 39 equates to 8%. So two people can take off indefinitely. So there's a few unicorns, you know, and, and maybe they're then like, uh, we have a lot of businesses that are second, third generation mm -hmm. is involved in the business. So maybe this is a first generation owner that's got a second or third generation who's taken over responsibilities. Um, but I, it's kind of depressing, but it's really not surprising. Mm -hmm. um, they have to claw and fight and go back, you know, like, so go back to some of the previous statistics. After all, one whole day of their week, and that's conservative, is spent fixing things that the other members of the leadership team ought to be able to handle. So that means that if you take two weeks off, there's two whole days during that two-week period where there are dumpster fires that no one can put out. 
And those dumpster fires have longer term consequences that you know you're going to have to deal with when you get back. So what do you do? You're like, well, I'm just going to avoid the dumpster fires. So mm-hmm. there's going to maybe, maybe if I only take four days off, there won't be one or there'll only be one. But if I take an entire week off, there's probably going to be four or five. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the world that most small businesses operate in. And it's directly related to the next couple of questions that talk about uh, business value. Yeah. And I just wanted to point out too, like we said, small businesses struggle with this, but I think big businesses struggle with this too. Um, I have my brother-in-law, he works for a larger corporation and he's a higher up. Do I know exactly what he does? No. If you're listening to this, I'm sorry. (laughs) What do any of those people who are higher ups in big companies do? Like we don't know. He does something for IT. If he listens to this, he's going to laugh at me. Um, But I know for a fact, like they, he struggles so much and he feels so much guilt for taking off a week to go on vacation, for taking off a couple of days to spend time with his wife. I know that that has been an issue for most of his career in corporate America. And he and I have had conversations over the course of the past five years of him wanting to branch off on his own. And the reality is, is like, he'll say like, well, maybe I'll have more flexibility or maybe I'll have more whatever. And it's like, well, maybe you will, but you already struggle with workaholism now. And is that your own fault or is that just the product of the environment that you're in? Because the best person in the room who's doing the best job is going to be rewarded Mm -hmm. with more work. Uh, So is that a product of your environment or is it a product of like you actually just wanting to be better and better and better. Well, I think that that there's a, you bring up a really interesting point where there's probably no good thing about not being able to take time off. Like there's no silver lining for that. Like there's lots of bad things that are happening there. Uh, Number one, you're probably, your, your personal priorities are probably a little bit out of whack, Mm -hmm. right? You've lost sight of what's really important and you're, you're actually doing, in, in a lot of ways, more harm than good. Your physical health probably is not as good as it needs to be. You're just general creativity and openness to new ideas. I mean, I'm amazed when when I'm able to take a two-week vacation and and go somewhere. Travel is huge for me personally. Other people I know, they don't have to travel. They just read. A good mentor of mine, uh, his favorite thing to do was get on a cruise ship, load up a suitcase of clothes and a suitcase of books. And he would find a corner of the cruise ship that, you know, was kind of out of traffic. He'd scout it out on day one. And then for the next week to two weeks, he would go camp there for six or eight hours a day and read these books. And the scenery never changed and and the surroundings never changed and the people never changed. So he, in essence, he wasn't really traveling. He's kind of going to a floating hotel room. (laughs) Uh, But for him, exposure to the ideas is what enabled him to come back and see things anew and see fresh perspective and come up with new ways to do things in an organization that had been around for 30 years. For me, uh, it is the environment. It is changing the physical environment around me. And that's why travel is so valuable, is especially landscape. Like to go to an area of the country that's desert, or go to an area of the country that's mountainous, or go to an area of the country that uh, has different seasons than we do, and there's just something about that that causes you to start to view the world differently. And then you come back and you start to question ideas differently or pro- practices, processes differently. And I think we all need that. So if you're working too much, that's not happening. Your quality of life isn't good. Your, your, um, 
your length of life isn't good. You know, you're literally shortening your life. Devin talked a little bit about that in a presentation we did yesterday. Um, but let's go to the other side. Um, it's also not all good when you can take six or eight weeks off out mm -hmm. of the year. And we've been in situations where business owner is doing that and everybody begrudges the time that they take off. And there'll be these little comments, almost like little side jokes about, yeah, you know, we never know where he's going to be or you never know, like, where in the world is she going to be now? And we don't know from week to week whether it's a vacation week or not. And, you know, must be nice kind of thing. And I think that that points to a similar failing in leadership and that what do we say is the job of the leader? The job of the leader is to provide the resources that their people need to be most successful, to be more fulfilled, more effective, more efficient. And so I think the best way, I think the best possible situation is to have a leader who's able to take those eight weeks a year off or, or more. And the people go, I'm glad they're not here. Not because I don't want them here, but it gives me an opportunity to stretch. You know, before they left, they kind of, laid down the, the, they, they empowered some more people to do some more things, or they empowered me to do one more thing so that they could take that time off. And when they're here, I have everything I need. They're checking in on me. They're, they're investing in my training. They're investing in my professional development. They care about me personally. What's important to me is important to them. And yeah, I want them here because when they're here, I feel like I'm growing as a leader, but when they're gone, I also feel because of the things they did when they were here and the way that they, they teed up the vacation or the time off, I also feel like now I'm being given a chance to exercise the things that I learned so that I continue to, to actually become a better leader in practice, not just in training. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So important. All right. So we have three more questions left. And um, the one I'm going to jump to is actually um, number nine. So we're going to skip number eight. Uh, we just asked, what would you estimate your business is worth today? But it was really teeing up to what would it be worth a year from now if your leadership team was performing as well as you want them to? And this jump was huge. 50%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you get it. They said that on average, they said they could increase the value of their business 50% in one year just by having a more effective leadership team. Like, can we just drop the mic for a minute? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, hello. Right. Can you wake up and smell your right. own coffee? So to put that in perspective, uh, you know, right now interest rates are at a, a high, at least a high for, for what we've seen in the last two decades, maybe three. Um, and you're going to, the investment that your, your, your investment is going to grow over the course of the next year by maybe five or 6%, you know, with a risk-free return. Uh, the stock market, you know, depending on where we go for a recession, like historically, maybe somewhere around 10, 12%. And these business owners are saying, I can quadruple that with a better leadership team. Uh, I can take... And for most of our business owners, the, their business is their biggest asset. If you looked at their personal balance sheet, it wouldn't be their IRA or their 401k, their savings account, their investment portfolio, not even their house. It's usually their business, the net value of their business is going to be the most, uh, most important asset, largest asset that they have. And they're saying you could take that asset and you could increase its value by 50%. And 
what's interesting in that to me is like, we didn't ask about year two or year three or year four. Like if you had a leadership team, how much more would your business be worth four years from now, five years from now? My expectation is that if, if conservatively they think they're going to get a 50% increase in one year, it's probably may not, you may not get that spike, that big jump in year two, but it's going to continue to increase in value. And with the leadership team in place, going back to that growth rate, we're going to have a 25% growth rate after a 50% increase in value. The numbers just start to get ridiculous. And let's back up a second and go, was this really, is this, is this really valid? Like, does this pass the smell test? You know, you're throwing all these numbers and these percentages out, but is it really going to be like that in the real world? And the truth is we don't see those 50% increases in the real world. And we don't see those 25% growth rates in the real world, but it's not because we don't see the leadership teams get better. It's specifically because we don't see the leadership teams get better. When we talk about what makes a business extraordinary, what makes a business great it's not the product or the service or the systems or the processes. It's the people. And most important, it's the people who are setting the example at the top and who are stewarding the rest of the folks, leading the rest of the folks. So absolutely, if you were able to take a business and put the right people in the right seats, would it outperform where it's at now? It absolutely would. There is no question. It would probably do way better than you believe it would you know, more than you could ask or imagine if we want to throw in a little, a little side note there. But I, I do believe that the gains that are to be had are extraordinary. However, the change that's required is also extraordinary. And I don't want to understate this. It can be incredibly painful to make some of these changes. Going back to when we first started talking about toxic team members, people that have been with you 17, 20, 25 years. We had some great questions from the audience yesterday. Um, like, how do you do that? And the truth is, it's, it is not, there's nothing we can say that's going to make it easier, but there's also nothing you can do that's going to make it less inevitable. Like it's going to happen. You're mm -hmm. going to have to, if you want to get to where you think the business can go, you're going to have to make some of these changes. And we don't want to make light of how difficult that is for business owners. The best we can do is say, think about all the other people you're forcing to pay a price because you're not taking action to increase the capacity of your leadership team. Yeah. It's not just about you at this point. Absolutely. If you have a leadership, it's about them as well. And if you're struggling and you're giving up four hours on average per day, if you're having to work extra hours, if you're saying that you're putting out fires eight plus hours a week, the possibility that your leadership team members are also doing the same thing is very, very uh, high. That's a great point. You're setting the example and it's kind of trickling back down through the rest of the organization. Yeah. Um, all right. So the last question on this survey was how many additional hours per week are you working to make up for lacking performance from your team? Before I tell you what this average is, there were a couple that just kind of made me laugh, to be honest. <laughs> um, we had some answers that were, I, I was kind of blown away um, for some of them. It was like 15 10, um, some of the lower ones were 
three or four hours. Um, but then we had a couple who um, said 20 and 30. Yeah, this is hard for me to, it's hard for me to read a statistic like this because this is the Saturday, Sunday question. Yeah. Right. This is how much time, and, and I guarantee you, most of these business owners are not taking into account the ex, like what we were talking about the other day, the extra hour they spend, their two hours that they're late for dinner because something had to go out that day. They're thinking about the consistent Saturday mornings they have to give up or full Saturdays they have to give up or occasional Saturdays and Sundays that they have to give up or that it's not the two hours. It's like, I'm, I just worked a 16 or a 17 hour day to make up for a lackluster leadership team. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, again, we go back to how much time can you take off? Well, if you're having to spend an entire day or two a week extra just to make up for your leadership team, forget about the dumpster fires you put out. Forget about all the interruptions. Like you literally can't leave the business because the business can't operate without you. It goes back to that previous question that we're talking about. What is the, how much would the value of the business increase? If we went and we actually quantified the data, I think we would find a direct correlation between the amount of time the business owner took off last year and the value of the business. And we'd find that the business, the businesses that had owners who took more time off were also worth more and, and on any metric. And so you could say value per employee so that we can compare, like say a hundred person business to a 20 person business or value per revenue dollar. Those businesses are going to value higher because virtually anybody can come in and step into the shoes of that owner. If an owner can take off an indefinite amount of time, months, you know, weeks indefinite, months indefinite, the business, they have a leadership team that's going to continue to run the business. The business has a higher value and it's going to be able to attract more, more investment. It's actually, it, it could have a huge value as like an ESOP. The employees could actually own that business and allow the owner to create a legacy business that perpetuates itself. But the reality is if you don't fix some of these things where you're having to work Saturdays and Sundays and you know, countless hours, you know, two or three times a month, uh, 17, 18 hour days, your business probably doesn't have much of a value beyond the net value of its assets minus its liabilities. Yeah. And that's kind of a scary place to be in, but I would also like to challenge our listeners to consider something a little outside the box. Is this your reality or is this your perception that you have to work Um, these 20 or 30 more hours a week. Now the average that we came out to was eight hours across the 39 businesses that answered the survey. So that's an entire day. That's a Saturday. That's an entire Saturday or that's half of Saturday and half of Sunday. And that is time that you could be spending with your family or your friends or a hobby. Um, But again, Is that reality or is that your perception? Is it reality because you actually have tasks that are lining up that you haven't completed? Or is it your perception because you just feel overwhelmed? And the reason I say that is because I've been in this place. I've been in this place more than once. I've been in this place recently. And um, I had someone tell me that you know how to fix this problem. You have the solution and you're choosing not to do 
do that solution. And a lot of the overwhelm for me comes from just having it all in my head and thinking about it. And uh, most of the time, it's not even about work. (laughs) It's just, I have a busy life. I have a lot of things that are happening on top of work. And I think that our perception can be that, oh, I have to work an extra day. I have to work an extra 16 hours. But at the end of those eight hours, at the end of those 16 hours, have you actually accomplished what you think you need to accomplish? Or is it just kind of a badge of honor that you're wearing that, oh, I was productive for an extra 16 hours this week. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the good news is whether you were productive, you know, let's say that you were productive and the reason that you had to be productive is because somebody else wasn't and you had to pick up the slack or you're just telling yourself that you were. And if that, if you didn't spend that Saturday or Sunday, it wouldn't have made a big difference in the business. In either one of those situations, what you're going to be dealing with a year from now is essentially what you decide to take control of today. I would say, uh, you know, the, the mindset that you, that you uh, articulated very well is one that a lot of business owners get sucked into after 20 or 30 years of carrying the load. And those business owners probably have a leadership team that could do more. They just have not empowered them to do it. Mm-hmm. And so they spend that time checking or double checking or reworking quotes or whatever, because they simply don't trust somebody else to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that's spinning your wheels. Like that time is not very well spent. And the ones that have uh, th- that 16 hours is absolutely necessary for the business to continue to, to function. Um, that's where I would look at the quality of the people that you have on the team. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is because if you have high quality people on the team and you refuse to empower them by handing over some of that stuff, or you don't trust them to review those quotes, or you don't trust them, you know, to, to do that planning or that scheduling or whatever it is that you're having to spend that time doing, they're going to leave. The A players are going to leave. I mean, like, I'm, I'd have nowhere to go here because they won't let go of this stuff. And the only place for me to go is to take over some of the responsibilities of the leader so that I can continue to grow in my knowledge, insight, capabilities. Um, and they're not going to give that to me, so I'm going to leave. So what does that leave you with? If you really have to do that stuff on Saturday and Sunday, it means that over your shoulder, you have a series of BNC players who are completely happy to let you do that because they don't want it. They don't want to grow. They don't. And so we come back to this idea of can your business accomplish all of these things? If you have the right people, it can and so I would challenge businesses, business owners to do exactly what you said. Like, don't do it. It's a, it's a lie you're telling yourself. It's either a lie that you're telling yourself or it's a situation you've created by allowing people on your team to, who shouldn't be there. Either way, you're gonna figure, they're going to figure it out. If you've got A players, they will pick up the slack. You won't miss a beat. You'll figure out that you've been telling yourself that lie and you didn't have to give up all that time and take it away from your, your friends and family. If things start to go south, you need to look over your shoulder and go, those people need to be replaced because somebody here should be should have been picking up this slack. I tried to empower them. They didn't want to pick it up. So I need to I need to increase the quality of my leadership team. Yeah. It's kind of like parenting. I have this analogy that I tell friends who are um having kids or maybe they have like a toddler and they haven't experienced the elementary age 
yet, but they're going to soon. And Bennett is eight. And something I say very often is I'm raising an adult, not a child. And that means that he is responsible. If he forgets his water bottle, that's not on me. It was when he was three years old, but he's eight years old. He knows that he has to get up. He has to get dressed. He has to put fresh clothes on. He knows that he has to wash his hair when he gets in the shower. He knows that he has to brush his teeth before he walks out that door. And if he doesn't do it, I'm going to tell him, boy, get your (laughs) butt back in the door and go do this. But he knows that he has to take ownership of that. And I think it's the same thing when you have a team member or team members that you're trying to empower. They should know what their responsibilities are. And that goes back to job blueprint. Mm -hmm. And we could have like 400 conversations on all of this all over again. Um, But it's really, it just comes back to, are you being the best leader? Are you leading by example? And are you giving them the option to step up to the plate? Because take a hard look in the mirror. If you're not that comes back to you. And sometimes that means they go to school without the water bottle, right? Sometimes there needs to be a natural consequence and a leader who's, who's consistently afraid to let their leaders um, have to endure a natural consequence is like, I like your, they're raising children. They're not raising adults, right? You're not, you're not developing leaders. You're just empowering followers. Mm Mm-hmm enabling followers. So uh, great point. I like it. Yeah. Well, this was such a great conversation, Joey. Thanks so much for joining me today. And um, I really hope that you, our listener, enjoyed this as well. Please be sure to follow us wherever you are listening to this podcast. Check us out on our website. We have this in blog form and um, we will be back next week with some information on how to create quarterly priorities. 